0: Welcome to our time of study in God's Word. This is study number 90 through this series in the Gospel of John. And our study today is titled, The Spirit's Ministry to the World. Would you please join me now in prayer? Heavenly Father, we have no greater need in this moment, at this time, than to come before you. And to boldly confess our great dependence on the person and the work of the Son of God and the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Lord, as your word is opened, we pray now, Lord, that you would illuminate it. That you would give us understanding of it. That you would help both me as I preach this message and those who listen to it that they might be helped and equipped to serve you. Lord, we have so many, so many needs. And yeah, we have one real and true and great need, and that is for Jesus. So Lord, may this sermon, may our study today, may it help us to grow to be more like Jesus. May we understand, Lord, more of the work of your Holy Spirit as you work through people, your people, in the church and outside of it to bring hope, to bring the gospel to people who desperately need it to hear it. So, Lord, help us to learn these truths and to trust you all the more. In Jesus name, amen. Well, we have a big text in front of us, a very important text in John 16:4 through 11 before us today. So if you would, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it. John 16:4 through 11. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. And judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the world, the ruler of this world, is being judged. One of the blessings of being a Christian is knowing that God is at work in our lives in such a way that even our losses become gain. This is true of earthly calamities as such a serious illness, a loss of a job, or even a severed relationship. Time and time again, serious Christians can turn to the Lord in times of loss and come through praising God by trusting his character. Saying with David in Psalm one hundred nineteen seventy one, it was good for me that I was afflicted. They find God who often takes material goods from us in order to give spiritual riches to us. Christians can know that God is true and that God is good because all they have to do is open their Bible and look at the whole story of redemption that is being played out. And there is no greater story of this example in the scriptures than Jesus' departure to take up his cross and his death and return into heaven. And Christ's return to heaven is the main theme of the farewell discourse that we are considering. Jesus had told his disciples he was about to die. He was about to rise again. But he withheld the doctrine of his departure until it drew near. John 16.4 says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. And now on the brink of his arrest, he says in John 16.6, Sorrow has filled your hearts. Their three years with Jesus had been the high point of his disciples' lives. Jesus had taught them everything. He had about himself. But if we do not appreciate their dismay over his leadenance, is leaving we will little little consider the glory of Jesus even before his exaltation Jesus insisted that they would be compensated for losing his bodily presence John 16:7 says nevertheless I tell you the truth it is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away the helper will not come to you but if I go I will send him to you the apostles' irony here is rich in this statement. For Jesus echoes the high priest Caiaphas's argument when the decision was made to have Jesus killed. John 11.50 says, Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. You see, cynical Caiaphas It meant that the nation could avoid trouble if the Romans had Jesus killed. And now using identical language, Jesus tells the disciples this will be true in their case. If they thought it was better for Jesus not to die, they completely misunderstood his entire mission, which centered on his death for sinners in their place and for their sin and rising again. And this is why Jesus expressed surprise, that they had asked about his leaving them. They had not inquired of his destination, John 16, 3. And they will do these things, because they have not known the Father nor me. If they had understood his mission, they would have been fascinated with the work he was going to do at God's right hand in heaven. Likewise, if we think it would be better to have Jesus physically with us now, or that the disciples had an advantage over us today, we ignore the enormous blessing that is ours because of Jesus' exaltation in heaven. The choice is not between Christ's present and Christ's absence, but between Christ present in body and Christ present in the Holy Spirit. And the latter is far better because Jesus explained that when the Spirit came in John 16.8, he would convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgments. John 16.4 says, But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. And Jesus here, we need to understand, takes us back to the beginning of the Pharaoh discourse and back specifically to John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. In John 14, 18 it says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And in John 14, 2 through 4, In my Father's house are many rooms, If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. You see, the word hour here in John 16 in this passage, it refers to Jesus' death. And John has repeatedly said this. To point to the fact that, that the hour is coming. And the hour is here soon. In, in John's Gospel where Jesus is going to die in the place and for sinners. And to rise again from the dead. And he reminds them to have faith in him. He's not leaving them. He's actually going ahead for them to save them from their sin. Jesus at the end of John 16 4 tells them what he does here. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. You see, this tells us that God's timing is perfect. We know from the Psalms that all of God's ways are perfect, holy, good, and unchanging. He has his plan and his timing is perfect for our lives. And so we can trust him with our very lives. God is doesn't leave us to be surprised. John 16, 5-7 But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me where are you going? And again we go back to John 14, this time to John 14 25-31 Let us go from here. You see, he takes them back to what he has said, so that they will understand that they are not left alone. You see, true Christians today are adopted by the Son of God and Son of Man, Jesus Christ. They are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and they are empowered by him. They are not left to themselves. John 166 through 11. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the, world, the, the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus going away in John sixteen seven 7 is, is important because while he was on earth, he could only be on one place at one time. But when he died and rose again, the Holy Spirit would carry on his ministry to the entire world at all times. In addition, in God's sovereign plan for the unfolding of history, the Holy Spirit would not come in new covenant power and fullness until Jesus Christ's return. The helper here refers back to the anticipation of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the inauguration of the kingdom spoken in the Old Testament prophetic literature. Dr. Kossenberger suggested the term helping presence more accurately captures the term parkletos. A reference to the Holy Spirit as the helper in the Gospel of John. He will convict the world in John 16.8. Gives hope to our many who are in the world, they are opposed to Jesus Christ. They will not be part of the world forever, but will repent of their sins and believe in Christ. You see, the world though, in opposition to that, it refuses to believe in Jesus Christ. The Spirit convicts the world of its sinful condition and points them to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they stand guilty and in need of Jesus Christ. Through the work of witnessing, which will be carried on by the apostles and their followers, the Holy Spirit will not only lay bare the world's sin, but will awaken people's heart and mind to their consciousness of guilt which leads to true repentance. From the book of Acts, from 1 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians, and from Titus, we learn that the result of this will be conversion and others hardening of hearts and eternal damnation. Though the world in general continues to persecute the church, there'll be millions of people in the course of history who are awakened to sin and guilt, they will be saved. They will become part of the church And as a result of the the operation of God's sovereign grace, men from every tribe, tongue, and nation will accept Jesus Christ as Lord. And when the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel, convicts men of their sin, a considerable number of people, who knows how many, Acts 2.37 says, will ask the question, what shall we do? They will feel that the essence of their sin, the one great sin which embraces all others, for those who have never heard the gospel is this, that they have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You see, the best way to understand what Jesus is talking about when he talks about conviction of sin is a record of the apostles' work immediately following the reception of the Holy Spirit. The very day that Jesus sent God's Spirit upon the church, Pentecost, Peter preached the first sermon of the Christian church at the temple, emphasizing the guilt of his hearers. Acts 2.23 picks up the story and says, You crucified and killed Jesus by the hands of lawless men. Had Peter preached this sermon even a day earlier, he would have been tossed out. He would have been abused by his hearers. And he would have been arrested. No one would have tolerated what he Said, but with the Spirit present to convict his hearers, the result was entirely different. Acts two thirty-seven may give us the best definition of the Holy Spirit's conviction. They were cut to the heart. Convicted, they appealed to Peter, seeking a remedy. Brothers, what shall we do? This is why it's better for Jesus to have departed for heaven. He has sent the Holy Spirit. He performs the work of conviction that is essential to any sinner's salvation. While on earth, Jesus accomplished our salvation chiefly by dying for our sins in our place. But now he has gone to heaven to send the Holy Spirit who applies what Jesus has done individually through the gift of faith. And such is the depravity of man and sin that unless the Spirit comes to apply with divine power, The saving benefits of what Jesus purchased on the cross. No man or woman could ever believe and ever be saved. This passage is the greatest passage on the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit that we have in Scripture. It's an enormous encouragement. We could just camp here for the remaining minutes that we have. And be helped for both in our ministry and in our lives. But Jesus' point here is that there is no sin worse than unbelief. To see Jesus and to hear the gospel offer, to learn of the wonderful life and the works of Jesus Christ, and to remain indifferent or hostile to God's Son is an act of depravity that must and will rec- must receive and requires to receive God's just retribution in the torments of hell. Rejecting Jesus involves choosing sin over salvation, the curse over Christ, and is a stubborn denial of guilt over the humble reception of the grace of God. And since the Spirit's work of conviction is to persuade the world of sin, this must also be our priority in gospel ministry. It's not an act of malice for preachers and their sermons and Christians and their witness to press home to sinners the heinous nature of their transgression against a holy and just God. And that they will perish under divine wrath. It is an act of love, it's an act of mercy to say such things. If we neglect to seek conviction for sin, we can hardly expect the rest of the gospel to seem important or even attractive, since it was for sinners that Jesus lived and died and rose. Conviction of sin is necessary for salvation, but it does not save itself. But Jesus here also talks about convicting the world of righteousness. And when he does this, he can mean that the Spirit will convict the world with regard to righteousness. Jesus' earthly ministry condemned the righteousness of the Pharisees and other moralists, who thought, oh, I'm living all right, I'm good with God. Which is one of the reasons they hated and killed him, and the Spirit continues his work today. Jesus reveals true righteousness, and when the Holy Spirit convicts a sinner, his or her false righteousness is exposed and it's revealed. The Holy Spirit not only convicts the world with regard to counterfeit righteousness, but it also convinces the world of true righteousness that is found in Christ alone. And this is why Jesus spoke of the conviction concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer in John 16.10. You see, Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven accomplishes two things in regard to his righteousness. First, it reversed the verdict of the Jewish leaders who condemned Jesus and condemned them instead. Second, it proves that Christ's saving work for us was accepted by the Father. The resurrection set the Father's seal of approval on the life and death of his Son and the sending of the Spirit from the Father was the final proof that Jesus had succeeded in reconciling Christians to God. Those convicted of their sin need to hear that there is forgiveness for sinners and righteousness in Christ alone. John 5.24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Just as our Christian witness must begin with conviction for sin, it must always lead to the righteousness that can be ours now by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You see, the Spirit convicts so that people might believe in Christ. We must believe ourselves guilty under God's just condemnation. And then we must believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and He grants righteousness through faith alone. Having departed to reign in heaven, Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to empower this Conviction of righteousness in himself. A mighty provision for gospel ministry. John 14 11 says, 1611 says, concerning righteousness, because I go, because the ruler of this world is judged. See, because I go to the Father in John 16:10, it means that Jesus will no longer be in the world to teach about true righteousness. And so the Holy Spirit will come on to carry that function through illumination and through the words of Christians who bear witness to him. Because the ruler of this world is judged, can also be, has judged, because the perfect tense verb, kukratikia, has come, has the sense of has been judged and continues in the state resulting from that judgment. And typically for John, the meaning of John 16.11 might be taken in a couple ways. Jesus might be teaching that the overthrow of the devil, both to destroy the power of sin and by rising from the dead to bring new and heavenly life into the world, has proved that there is judgment on evil. After all, Colossians 2.15 says that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Christ saw his death and resurrection as the judgment of Satan by which his falsehood is exposed and his demise achieved in the fall of Satan's reign. We see that the powers of sin and darkness must fall. See, there is a judgment awaiting all evil in this world and the Christ's death on the cross. We do not need to follow the reign of Satan. It is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to work this conviction concerning judgment. You see, today we have considered the progression for the Holy Spirit's convicting ministry and how this helps us to minister effectively. But the last thing to see is the relevance of this conviction in the lives of Christians today. We are convicted of our sin and guilt and then forgiven through the righteousness that is found in Christ alone. What conviction do you need then as we live as Christ's people in the world? But we need the spirit's conviction that the reign of Satan is over. Jesus has already told the disciples concerning his cross. John twelve thirty one says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. The cross to which we look for salvation is also the judgment that the world will be judged by. Paul said that when we are dead in sin, we are under Satan's domination living, Ephesians 2, 3 says, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. But Christ judged, and defeated Satan. his power. And we are now born in Christ after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, Ephesians 4.24 says. Do you believe that you are no longer under the domination and dominion of Satan, no longer bound to sin, but now free in Christ to lead a new life of righteousness? It is the work of the Holy Spirit to convict Christians that Satan and his reign are judged and cast down so that our matter of acting and speaking, our treatment of one another, and our walk with Christ himself in the power of the Spirit will result in victorious Christian living, which is because of the victory that Christ accomplished for us, his people, in his death, burial, and resurrection. It's not possible to be a Christian and to be saved from God's wrath Without being convicted of sin and righteousness. You see we must confess our sins to God. We must feel some of the weightiness of our sin. Of the indwelling sin that remains in us. And we must flee to the refuge and rescue in the blood of Jesus Christ. But if we want to be greatly used by the Holy Spirit today. And his work of convictions takes place through Christ's people. That we must also be convicted concerning the judgment of the world itself. Satan is defeated. The reign of sin is broken in Christ alone. The world's siren, song of death, need not be heeded nor obeyed. Do you believe that? Are you convicted of Christ's triumph and reign over all today, friend? Does your life show that you are? let's pray, let's earnestly pray not just say shallow prayers but let's earnestly with earnestness and passion let's pray for the spirit's conviction of Christ's victory over Satan's sin in the world so that through the witness of our submitted lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit might bring conviction and saving faith to many and let's also pray That we might be disciples who make disciples. Who make disciples to the glory of our great God and King. Would you pray with me now? Lord, uh, as we wrap up the study, even I'm, I'm reminded here today, Lord, I have such a great need for you. And yet you, through Christ, have provided that need. You have provided righteousness and hope I do not deserve those things we do not deserve those things and yet you freely give them to us I'm also reminded of 1 John 1 9 if you confess our sins you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness so Lord we are reminded of our great need for you not just that we are sinners, but that we are sinners in need of the great grace and mercy of Christ. So Lord, as we wrap up the study today, we, we pray, Lord, for conviction for ourselves. Conviction. Lord, may we be convinced that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And Lord, if we have lost sight of that, Lord, open our eyes, awaken us to to what you've already done for us. Let us not be in in stupor and apathetic and indifferent about our sin. There are people out there perishing in hell, a place of unending, unrelenting, conscious punishment. And God, help us. Help us not to be indifferent. Help us to not be apathetic. Lord, awaken us to the glory of grace, which also calls us to deny ourselves, to put our sin to death. God, help us to mortify our sin. Help us to shine brightly the light of Christ, even though we do so imperfectly in this life. Lord, help us through your spirit now. Help us, Lord, to shine that light brightly. Illuminate the, the areas